Hello, my good friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar, and this is going to be episode 151, and we're going to do the readings for uh, the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time. The 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, it's uh, the readings for August 22nd, 2021. So, uh, my na- once again, my name is Ned Jabbar, and this is The Informed Catholic. So, uh, if you like what I do, please subscribe and share to my podcast. I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, so, let's begin. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words and what I have done and what I have failed to do. Through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault, therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to please pray with me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision, Christe elision, Christe elision, Christe elision, kiri elision, kiri elision, kiri elision. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy, Christ have mercy. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you. We adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father, have mercy on us, for you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so now we are in the 21st Sunday of Ordinary Time. All right, so we're moving along in the liturgical cycle. We are now in the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, and uh, we're getting to the end of August. We're going to go past, hopefully, uh, this horrible uh, humidity. It's uh, it's not my favorite. <laughs> no, it's not, and it's um, it's not fun. Okay, so, um, and hopefully we go past all these uh, horrible uh, events we're going through, such as um, what's happening now in Afghanistan, um, the situation there. We uh, Everyone should be praying for uh, Christians over there in Afghanistan. Um, unfortunately, now with the Taliban taking over, um, and that situation is terrible because they... Uh, the head of the Taliban announced that they're uh, they're going to go after Christians, and uh, supposedly they're going to do it by looking in people's phones. This is one uh, one report that uh, looking into uh, 
any Christian apps like Bible apps or prayer apps that they have on their phone. Uh, <laughs> they know the Taliban were that aware of such things, but I guess it's uh, not impossible, right, in this uh, very uh, uh, smartphone uh, environment that we're living in. But uh, that's it's terrible um, for those people, especially also for anyone who uh, worked with uh, or worked for the U.S. government. Um, reports say about $84 billion of, uh, of equipment, of military equipment, was left over there. Now it's in the hands of these terrorists. And uh, the Taliban leaders have... Uh, renamed the country the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. It's kind of like a, a, a caliphate, sort of, you know, an emirate. Uh, they're going to be ruled basically by Islamic law, Sharia law, and they're going to go back again, um, terrorizing um, Af Afghanis um, people. It's. Um, it's kind of like similar, I guess you can say to, although I don't think it's going to be as close to the way the Ottoman Empire was, but that was uh, a uh, kind of like an emirate or a caliphate. Um, it's definitely will be, I mean, the country's so undeveloped, right? But it's um, going to be definitely have a close relationship with uh, Iran now. Iran is ruled by a, a uh, an ayatollah, which is kind of like similar to an emirate, or it's kind of like basically a cleric. It's they're going to be ruled kind of like a cleric who's going to be something something like a a religious leader, I guess you know, and a, and a and a political leader. So it's not good. The women will have to go back wearing burqas. Um, men will divorce their wives or decide to get rid of their wives by. Uh, trials and have them stoned to death or executed accusing them of something breaking islamic law yeah that's that's the situation that's the situation and uh uh they're uh supposedly i mean i you know you know no one's going to do any report but guess what they're saying oh they're chanting chant of death to america but they seem very friendly remember i don't know if you heard that supposedly with a cnn reporter uh, this is like the same station that basically uh, had protesters burning things down. It's mostly peaceful protests with fires burning behind them, right? <laughs> this is the uh, this is the environment we're living in. But anyway, let's let's go to the reading. So pray for pray for Afghanistan. Pray for the people there. Um, pray also for the church, the Catholic Church. Uh, there's a lot of disunity going on. Um, a lot of, uh, I'm afraid, there's a lot of hostility going on there as well. And, and within the Catholic Church, a lot of division. And uh, the devil loves division. All right, so anyway, let's begin with the first reading. The first reading is from the book of Joshua, chapter 24, 24 verse 1 to 2. And it also extends to 15 to 17. A reading from the book of Joshua. Joshua gathered together all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, summoning their elders, their leaders, their judges, and their uh, officers. 
when they stood in the ranks before God, Joshua addressed all the people, If it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today whom you will serve. The gods your father served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose country you are now dwelling. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But the people answered, Far be it from us to, to forsake the Lord for the service of other gods. For it was the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of a state of slavery. He performed those great miracles before our very eyes and protected us along our entire journey and among the people through whom we passed. Therefore, we will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Let's read this one more time. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel at Shechem, summoning their elders and their leaders, their judges, and their officers. When they stood in ranks before God, Joshua addressed all the people. If it does not please you to serve the Lord, decide today whom you will serve. The gods your fathers okay. served before the river or the gods the gods of the Amorites in whose country you are now dwelling. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord for the services of other gods. For it was the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt, out of a state of slavery. He performed those great miracles before our very eyes and protected us along our entire journey and among the peoples through whom we passed. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, that was the first reading. Okay, now let's look at this particular scene. It's very interesting. And um, what's happening here, this is after the events of the Exodus. After the, uh, the days of Moses, Moses just passed away and he passed the leadership down to this man, Joshua. Now the name Joshua is the Hebrew version we do uh, in the English pronunciation of the Hebrew version of Yeshua. And you, we know the name already because the name we, we, uh, what happened was, I guess you could say the English writers decided to differentiate, to, to separate. It's Jesus. The name Joshua is Jesus. In Hebrew, it's Yeshua. God, God, Savior, God is Savior. The Lord is Savior. Yahweh is Savior because it's connected to the to the name Yahweh. Um, the um, the old Protestant um, German pronunciation is 
uh, Jehovah. Uh, you've heard of Jehovah Witnesses. It's basically uh, the mistaken uh, uh, pronunciation. And it's stuck. It's stuck with the Jehovah Witnesses. They actually prefer, prefer that. Um, this came out of the uh, mistake uh, from the uh, the German Lutherans or the or some or someone accidentally because uh, originally J the letter J uh, in our Latin alphabet which is what the ABCs are they come from the Roman the Roman Latin language uh, there was originally no uh, no J originally. The I stood in place of the J, and then later on, as the English, as the Latin alphabet developed, the the, the letter J was placed in uh, was put in place to to uh, separate. Uh, but it's technically Yeshua, Joshua, Jesus, and um, it's not Jehovah. It's actually Yahweh, because the Hebrew language doesn't have a J. Okay, well, anyway, it you know just a it's a little of a of something to know. So now this is the events after Moses. Joshua is leader, prophet leader. He's military leader, and they're uh, they're taking over Canaan. They never really do. They never really fulfill what they were supposed to do. Uh, which is get rid of all the pagans from the land. And yes, that means it was violent. It was a violent takeover because um, paganism is very, very addictive. Idolatry is very, very addictive. And uh, I think we have that. We see that we, we see that today in our, in our times that we live in. Um, we worship, um, uh, a lot of uh, idols. It doesn't necessarily mean it has to have a pagan image, but we do. We do. We have. Um, we're still a very idolatrous people. We have celebrities. We we use the term idols, American Idol. We even use the word icon on our apps, right? Um, but we have political idols. We have uh, um, movie star idols. We have uh, all kinds. I mean, our situations are, you know, we we are still a pagan society, and we, in a sense, we 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 always are, because we ha we look for distractions. Okay, um, we have sexual idols. We have um, all kinds. Like I said, all kinds of idols. We have political idols, uh, music idols. You know. And we do worship them. Look at the way people behave at a rock concert or uh, anything. They they jump up and down. They wave their hands. They scream. They they go into tears, some of them. They really do. Emotional. It's emotional and a very powerful thing. But what happens when you encounter the true God? Once you encounter God, you change. We see this in the Old Testament. We saw this with Noah. We even before Noah, Enoch, 
and other uh, other figures of the of the Old Testament, even when their stories are not fully fleshed out, we we see these mysterious figures, and their lives are never the same. Abraham encounters God, and his life is never the same. Um, Isaac, Jacob, they encounter the living, the true living God, and their lives are never the same. Everything changes where they live how they deal with people, how they deal with personal situations, marital situations, the domestic life situation. It completely changes. Encountering God changes your life. And we, and we see this in the New Testament with Jesus. Once you meet Jesus, you're never the same ever again. Whether you believe in him or not, you're never the same. When you encounter Christians, when a, when a world, a pagan, non-believing world, a materialistic world has to deal with Jesus Christ or his followers, nothing is the same ever again. Whether you believe in him or not, once you encounter Jesus, you change. You may not realize it, but you changed. The, the, the world when it deals with us, they're dealing with Jesus. They're dealing with God. Especially when subject matters such as uh, education, moral, moral issues, moral codes, such as sex or sexuality, or rather dealing with a vaccine, or whether dealing with uh, the education of our children, they're dealing with Christ. They're dealing with Jesus Christ. And that is the way it should be. That is the way it should be. We see, we see this difficulty even within our church leaders. Those who are very, very flexible with the world. Very accommodating with the world. Our, our, our church leaders, whether it happens to be a bishop, a priest, uh, a cardinal... And yes, rather it happens to be with a Pope, because even Popes can be unfaithful, can also struggle in how they deal with the world. We see this with Pope Francis. He himself is, 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 is finding it very difficult. Yes, he is a Pope. Yes, he's supposed to serve Jesus. Yes, I think he struggles with how to serve Christ. He struggles not just with fellow members of the Catholic Church like us, other bishops, other cardinals. But he, he serves even, he has conflicts, I believe, even within himself. I'm not trying to bash the Pope, but I'm, let's be honest. Let's not pretend the problem's not there. The conflict, it's not there. It's there. He's having conflict all right, even with traditional Latin mass Catholics, even we, we as we're, we know there's conflict within our home. There's division, let's say within our Catholic church. Now, whether we, whether one agrees with the traditional Latin mass doesn't matter. The point is there's conflict. Remember what our Lord said. I came not to bring peace, but the sword. Even one's own household is one's own opponent, one, one's own enemy. 
And when you encounter God, you have to, you have to, uh, you know, deal with the reality that's going to happen. The reality of division and conflict within ourselves, within uh, our own individual person, with our own family members, with our own fellow church members. There's conflict. There's problems. And we have to, we have to acknowledge it. Because there's no peace within ourselves. Remember what Jesus said, have peace, have salt within yourselves. There is, there is none of that. Okay, liberal Catholic against conservative Catholic. Conservative Novus Ordo against liberal Novus Ordo. Catholic against Catholic. Family members against family members, fathers against sons and daughters, sons and daughters against fathers, vice versa, mothers, brothers and sisters against each other, brother against brother, sister against sister. Because we hold on to things that we shouldn't hold on to. And it's not a secret. Many, we've seen it this, we've seen it in the last two years, right? The church is being shut down arguments over the virus over staying safe bishops accommodating governors and 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 uh, uh medical institutions denying catholics communion in the mouth right shutting the doors denying last rites it has you have to ask yourself when you do this are we faithful to jesus christ have we put him first where have we put the state first as our pagan idol? Joshua tells his, his fellow Jews, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So when that happens, when we have to serve Christ within our own home, in our own personal lives, have we allowed Jesus to become Lord of our lives or have we allowed the state or have we allowed some pagan idol to become Lord of our lives. Because once you encounter the living Christ, you are never the same again. You have to be honest, even within yourself. Even I myself have to be honest. I have allowed a lot of other things come into my life, come in my way, come in within, get in the way between me and Jesus and me and my uh my personal life, my family life, and how I, how I uh, spend my time, my entertainment, you know, my own uh, little pet peeves, you know, little problems, little distractions. I realized it. I, you know, we all have to realize we allow other things to get in the way and we allow other things to get in the way we haven't allowed Jesus to change our lives. And once we acknowledge this problem, we're able to allow Christ taking control. We let him take control and we let him guide us through the other problems we're going through. How we deal with work-related things, how we, de we deal with uh, entertainment-related things, and how we deal with temptations. These are the things that we're going to have to learn to deal with. We, we have to allow Jesus to take over and help us through all these other decisions. And then we can learn to think 
in a Christ-like manner, in a Christ-sacramental manner, in a uh, Christian, Christ-like moral manner, you know, intellectual manner, social manner. All these things will, will, will be easy for us. But, but either it's Jesus or Caesar, Jesus or some social entertainment pagan idol, we're going to have to deal with it. All right, let's move on to the uh, the Psalms. Okay, so uh, it's Psalm 34. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Why does that sound so familiar? Let me see something here. All right, sometimes it seems like our responsible psalm are not very different. All right, it's different, yeah. All right, taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34. All right, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be ever in my mouth. Let my soul glory in the Lord. The lowly will hear me and be glad. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. The Lord has eyes for the just and ears for the for their cry. The Lord confronts the evildoers to destroy remembrance of them from the earth. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. When the just cry out, the Lord hears them, and from all their distress he rescues them. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and those who are crushed in spirit he saves. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Many are the troubles of the just one, but out but out of them all all the Lord delivers delivers him. He watches over all his bones, not one of them shall be broken. Taste and see the goodness of the Lord. Okay, has anybody seen anything in there that stands out? Uh, you know, unfortunately a lot of Catholics don't read their Bibles, but I'm sure some of you out there who do read their Bible, did you see and notice something? The last part. Many are the troubles of the just one, but out of them all the Lord delivers him. He watches over all his bones. Not one of them shall be broken. This is the prophecy of uh, this related to Jesus. This is the prophecy. If you read John's gospel, when the soldier pierced Jesus' side, Remember when he was on the cross and he expired, he passed away, he gave up, he gave up his spirit. The, um, the leaders of the, the Jewish people, the religious leaders, demanded, because it was a Friday and it was going to be a, a, a holy Sabbath, a much more greater Sabbath, they demanded that the bones of the crucified men be broken. They broke the bones they take a, they would take a club or a hammer, a big sledgehammer, and they would crack the knees of the crucified men so that they would die faster because they would have to hold themselves up to keep breathing. When they got to Jesus, he was already expired. And it, one of the soldiers just simply decided to pierce his side. And it fulfilled the prophecy. They should that not one bones of his of his body shall be broken. And the prophecy of, and they should look upon him 
and, you know, whom they have pierced, and they should mourn for him. The prophecy from Zechariah, mourn for him as a nation mourns for an only son. Now, the reason why the bones should not be broken of the lamb is because this is the coming from Exodus of what God demanded uh, of the Jewish people as they prepare the lamb for the Passover. Also, it goes back to Jacob when Jacob wrestled with the angel, the patriarch of the Jewish, of the Jewish people, when he wrestled with a mysterious figure, a man appeared to him and he wrestled with the man all night long. And as it was about to reach sunrise, the man, this mysterious figure said to him, let me go. The sun is about to rise. And Jacob responded and said, no, not until you bless me. And the man himself said, the man, this mysterious man asked him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said to him, your, ne your name now shall be Israel. And then he hit him in the hip, dislocated his hip. Jacob from there was, was limping afterward for the rest of his life. And the, the name Israel mean one who struggles with God and lived. He struggled with God face to face and lived. And the Jewish people from then on never broke the hip of the lamb that particular spot. And that was also to commemorate Jacob wrestling with God. And the purpose of that is because we ourselves struggle to be holy. We struggle to be faithful to God. It's a relationship. It's not meant to be a master and servant because it's a relationship between father and his children. This is why Jesus tells us to refer to God as Abba, mm -hmm. Father, which is the which is the the a very personal, intimate way. He wants he he's using his self as a role model for a relationship with God, not the master and servant relationship, not a lord and you know, graveling servant child and parent god god should be looked upon as our father abba is a very uh little kid kind of response it's daddy jesus is always referred to his father abba yes it's father but it's also a way of saying daddy in arabic we say baba a lot of little kids say baba or sometimes we say yaba Basically, the older kids would say Yaba, you know, but little kids would say Baba or Mama. Yeah, so it's a relationship thing. And this is something how we should look at it because it's always been that way. It's always been that way. But the thing is, I think sometimes um, because of... Um, I think bad example, bad example, and also the breakup of the family... Uh, and we don't we don't live a very good sacramental life as Catholics. We really don't. We don't live our life sacramentally. We don't. Um, we really lost a lot of good Catholic traditions and rituals. Uh, and I put the blame on the uh, the modernists for this. A lot of our clerics are modernists. They tend modernists tend to look at religion, look at 
people more from a social justice perspective. It's a very arrogant and very uh, elitist uh, philosophy. Uh, they don't tend to really value um, real, the 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 truth of the truth of the Catholic faith from a very very um, sacred sacramental thing. You're gonna hear some noise in the background because it's a rainy day, unfortunately this Sunday, so I can't control the sounds. Uh, but it's because they tend to look at it. It took me a while to figure it out. There's a book called, hold, hold on. Anyway, they have a habit of always looking at things from a a very cold uh, social experiment attitude. They don't really value the faith. In matter of fact, they really hold a lot of contempt. It's very elitist. Like I said, it has a very elitist approach. Um, Everything to them, I learned, I learned, I mean, you'll listen to an episode of Taylor Marshall. You know, I don't know if you heard the Chicago, the mayor of Chicago, uh, Lori Lightfoot, received communion under a a, uh, an, uh, a Catholic mass that was for a police officer that got killed during the line of duty. And it was uh, Holy Communion. And Lori Lightfoot, who is a, not Catholic, she's a Methodist Episcopalian, and she is a uh, practicing lesbian in a relationship, received Holy Communion. Now, uh, according to Marshall, the modernists want to do this. They want this because they really don't hold the sacrament and the real presence. They really don't believe in it. Okay, you you really you really have to be that way. You have to be someone like that. You really don't believe in it, and because they look at religion as a social experiment. In other words, they think the ends there's a thing. The ends justify the means. Quoting uh, Machiavelli, the idea is to create a universalist. They have a very universalist attitude, and because they have a hold of a very universal attitude, so they. They don't. They hold a lot of the truth of the faith in contempt, such as our relationship with God as a Father, or our sacramental beliefs of the faith, such as the real presence, believing that the Eucharist is truly the body and blood of our Lord. Do you listen to their language? They never really believe in that. They never say that. They don't hold that first, which is what the, you're supposed to do. With, with with our sacramental theology is put the real presence first. And you have to also uh, hold sin. You have to understand that sin gets in the way. Paul said, if you, many of you are sick, is because you have not examined yourself before you receive the Lord. In other words, receive the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and it's because there is sin in you. No, they don't want. They don't want to do that because remember, many of them don't believe in the real presence, and many of them are practicing homosexuals. So therefore, to them, the universalism is far more important to them than the sacramental reality or the moral. Uh, the the real the the belief of sin as an impediment they don't believe in that so 
That's why we don't have a very family-oriented environment in the Catholic Church. They don't preach about it. They don't practice it. They don't believe in the real, in the present, in the real presence. So therefore, they can't believe in the real in, in sin as an impediment. Lori Lightfoot is a lesbian. She's a practicing lesbian. That goes against Catholic theology. You, whether you like it or not. This is the reality of the Catholic faith. And, may, and when we don't believe in this, we don't believe in this, it affects the church. The Holy Spirit is the one you're fighting with. The Holy Spirit is the one you are fighting with. If we do not hold to this moral truth, and if our bishops, our priests, our cardinals, our clerics, our shepherds do not teach this, it is the Holy Spirit they're fighting with and is Jesus himself they're fighting with. This is sinful way of thinking. This is rebellious way of thinking. This is prideful way of thinking. And if you really want to hold on to that, you're going to be proven wrong. And that's what's happening. This is why there's conflict in our Catholic Church. This is why there's conflict. Because truth is not being spoken, but the Holy Spirit will, will have it spoken out. It will, it will come out one way or another. All right, let's move on. Okay, the second reading is from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 to 32. All right, it says, and, uh, or 5 to 2a. Well, I really hate when they do that. Okay. Uh, okay, there's a bracket. Well, we're going to read the whole thing. Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. He himself, the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Live in love as Christ loved us. Husbands, Love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over to her uh, for her, handed himself over to her for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So also husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. 
the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. I'm going to read this one more time. Be subordinate to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives should be subordinate to their husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. He himself, the savior of the body. As the church is subordinate to Christ, so wives should be subordinate to their husbands in everything. Live in love as Christ loved us. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and handed himself over for her to sanctify her, cleansing her by the bath of water with the word that he might be present to himself. The church in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So also husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one hates his own flesh, but rather nourishes and cherishes it, even as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man should leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak in reference to Christ and the church. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I wonder how many Catholic parishes they're going to dumb that down, that reading. Remember when I said there was a lot of um, conflict? Well, remember how I said there's a lot of broken families and everything? I'm going to bet cuz I haven't gone to I haven't gone to mass yet. So I'm doing all this uh before before the uh before I go to mass. That reading since ever since I entered the Catholic Church has unfortunately been terribly terribly uh thrown under under the bus edited i've seen readers uh readers go up and skip a line or try to avoid i mean look at it they have it they have it in brackets that show that tells you it's uncomfortable for some people and i think the reason why it's uncomfortable is because catholics don't read their bible nobody bothers to read that whole part the whole thing, the whole passage from beginning to end. Paul was probably dealing with domestic issues. But the word subordinate or submit is a very difficult line. It's a very difficult word. They can't, they, they choke on that word. <clears throat> it's not anti-woman. It's about pro-family. It's about dealing... It's the mystical relationship between Christ and the church. And because we live in a very uh, uh, anti-man, pro-feminist environment, so-called anti-misogynistic, any word that deals with submitting, with a woman submitting, they don't really understand. Paul is speaking within a Christian context. And I think the problem started when we allowed lay people to go up there to read the scriptures. 
the priest downplayed his role as pastor and as one who instructs the word of God. And because many of our our priests are so badly formed and not biblically centered, I don't think they are. I honestly don't think they are. I think they're so um, unprepared. I don't know what it is. I think it's deliberate. I think they, they, they make it deliberate because a lot of them, I'll be honest with you, I don't even, I, I wonder what their prayer life is like. You know, they, they just have such a manager-like position, a very distant, you know, very cautious, careful thing. I don't think they know how to how to deal with that. I don't think they do. I think it's going to be, you know, this is why people like Scott Hahn up here. And the thing is, you got to remember how many Catholics are actually going to spend the time because a lot of Catholics don't read their Bible. They're terrible at reading their Bible. I don't know. It's going to it's going to be very sad that a, a lot of families could be so well healed. A lot of relationships could be so well mended. The church always from the very beginning has looked at her relationship with Christ from the perspective of a, of a bridegroom and the bride of of a marriage covenant, not a contract. A covenant is more deeper and more sacred and more holy. A covenant is unbreakable. Contracts are breakable. Legal contracts are breakable. And a lot of our pastors don't know how to accept because we live now in this uh, gender-neutral environment. They can't accept the relationship between the bride and the bridegroom. Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. They can't accept that. And they don't, that's why Paul uses marriage between a man and a woman to explain, explain our relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know. It's just, it's sad that they're going to miss that opportunity. They really need to focus on that. They need, they need, they need to focus on this relationship aspect between Christ and his church. They need to focus on that. They need to develop that even more. It's, it's, you know, I mean, you see how Paul, once you read the first part and you read the whole thing without editing it, the subordinate part and the relationship between a husband and wife and the order that the husband must love his wife. Paul, Paul goes for the jugular vein to order a man that he must order, he must love his wife and no man hates his own body. He's dealing with domestic abuse. He's dealing with the mistreatment of women at the home and in the domestic level. That's why he says that no man hates his own body because he's he's connecting it with the Eucharist and that and he's connecting with Christ being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. And then he goes to the final part of the, of the text where he says, this is why 
For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. He's dealing with the whole thing there. But you guys get hooked up with the subordinate part, and you don't bother to go into, into the whole text. One word, and you guys fall apart. One word, and you think misogyny. One word, you think abuse of women. He's working his way up. He's building, he's building the sacramental part. And he's, he's basically building him up and making them realize that their relationship with their wife is the same way Christ's relationship with his church. And he's saying to the men, treat your wife as Christ treats the whole church. Behave as Christ behaves as a bridegroom to the sacred bride, the church. And he's telling them, your behavior is like someone who's not a Christian. Your behavior is like the devil. Basically, he's working his way up without, without, without basically making, getting him angry where they run away and don't listen. He's defending the woman. And he's setting up a sacred way of thinking. A very sacramental, a sacramental way of thinking. He's trying to get these men, just as you, so, you, you approach the Eucharist, you should also approach your wife in a Eucharistic manner. That's what he's trying to do here. And this is the way we all should think. Husbands and wives should think. But this was harder because he's dealing with a pagan world. A pagan way of thinking. Remember, Paul went out to the Greeks, to the Romans, to the non-Jews. The Jews already had this kind of thing. Now, whether the men the men uh, are, are really... Uh, you know, have a, have a sacramental mind in a Jewish religion. That's a different matter. For you know, it's a whole totally different matter. But when and they have their Sabbath home, the Jews have a very beautiful tradition, especially if the men are married. Woman of valor, who can find her? This is owed to the women of valor from their scriptures. This is the husband with the wife and kids and other members, when they gather together on, on, on the, uh, for the Sabbath, the, the, there is a woman of valor owed uh, a prayer from the scriptures. And then they go on down the line if they have children. May God treat you like, may God um, bless you the way Sarah was blessed the way Rachel was blessed, the way Miriam was blessed. And then they say to the sons, oh, you know, the way you, maybe you, maybe you be blessed like the way Dad, Joseph or, or Joshua or something like that. You know, they, they have this, you know, they, they bring the, the, the people of the past and they, and they bless each other and say, I, I hope you, you're blessed the way this person was blessed. That's that's a different. That's a Jewish environment, and so 
the Sabbath, the Sabbath bride, those things are already in Jewish uh, uh, religious spiritual life. Gentiles are different. And so Paul had to approach it in a very careful and a very aggressive sacramental way for how a man should treat his, 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 his wife. But unfortunately, because we're so politically correct, we're so woke, which turns everything to garbage, makes nobody listen. When the cancel, we live in a cancel culture, we don't listen to this stuff. We don't listen to this part. Because it's already canceled. Sorry, that's misogynistic. Sorry, that's politically incorrect. You need to you you need to change word, Paul's words. See. And the fault is the seminaries. The fault is how the priests are trained. The fault is it lays on the bishops. Yeah, this thing needs to be addressed. And sadly, I know many Novus Ordo pastors. Novus Ordo pastors. Because I bet you if you go online and you go to a, a traditional Latin mass, they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna shy away from this passage. No. Alright, let's move on. Alright. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Your your words, Lord, are spirit and life. You have the words of everlasting life, John. This is from the Gospel of John. Okay. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. John. Glory to you, O Lord. Many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you, some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from... Hold on. From the beginning, the one who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, For this reason I have told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by by my Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, Do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to read it one more time. Many of Jesus' disciples who were listening said, This saying is hard. Who can accept it? Since Jesus knew that his disciples were murmuring about this, he said to them, Does this shock you? What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
It is the spirit that gives life, while the flesh is of no avail. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of, um, some of you who do not believe. Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the ones who would betray him. And the one, I'm sorry, Jesus knew from the beginning the ones who would not believe and the one who would betray him. And he said, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted to him by, the, by my father. As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. Jesus then said to the twelve, do you also want to leave? Simon Peter answered him, Master, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. Gospel of the Lord, praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wish they would have gone a little further, and I'm actually going go, to do it because uh, this is something important. I'm going to uh, read this from, uh, from the Revised Standard Version. All right? Many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, this is from, sorry, chapter 6, verse 60. This is hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself what his, that his disciples mumbered at it, said to them, Do you take offense of this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you that do not believe, for Jesus knew from the first those uh, those, uh, those were that did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by, by the Father. After this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer walked with him. Jesus said to, to the twelve, Will you also go away? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. Okay? Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was to betray him. Okay. I think that made it clear. That is the, uh, that is a fact, okay, that that part there that we see about how uh, Judas's role, Judas's, Judas's role came, it's interesting that the church, this reading came today because it shows that the Eucharist is very, very divisive. We see that in our politics today. 
it's extremely divisive. The Eucharist is extremely divisive because a lot of people who are in a state of mortal sin think it's almost like a right. It's not a right. Even for those of us who are in a state of grace, it is a a gift. It is a gift and is a gift. Uh, the Eucharist, receiving Jesus is body and blood. Remember what Christ said on the cross, the classic words. Okay, they tend to have it as finished. It is accomplished. But the old, uh, like if you look at the old Bibles, like the Douay Reims or the old Missals, the word that's used there, it is consummated. And actually that is correct in the Greek, consummated. Consummated as a marriage, like a husband and wife in a marriage bed. This is, the Eucharist is a marriage feast. It is the feast of the Lamb. When Jesus performed his miracle, turning the water to wine, it, it was at a marriage. This is why in the old Catholic theology, in the old Catholic, beautiful Catholic churches, uh, it is. it has a very festive marriage look, Holy Communion. In the Norris Ordo churches, they kind of stripped that down a lot. They stripped it down a lot that you couldn't even tell. I mean, so much so that it's, it's it, you know, no one wants to look at it. And no one sees that. If you look at the book of Revelation, a lot of the book of Revelation, Scott Hahn says it is like, it is the marriage feast of the lamb. It is a, it is a bride. That's why in the end of book of Revelation, the new Jerusalem comes down like a bride to her bridegroom. Receiving Holy Communion is akin, is, is just like marriage vows. It is marriage vows. They would have an old, um, like a canopy, like a, like, you know, what do you call it? Like that, that covering the Jews, um, marry, uh, weddings for the bride and bridegroom to get married. It's called a, a, a hoopah, a hoopah. Uh, you know, it's it's like a, a bed, it look like a bed, an old bedpost. If you look at in some of these old, old Victorians, sometimes even before that, like in the time of the Renaissance, old films like the Shakespearean time, the rich would have what looked like a bedpost and a, and a, and a, and a covering. The, the altars had that look to them. If you look at behind, like the some of these old churches, these old Catholic churches, it looks like a bedpost because Jesus is the bridegroom and we are his bride with the body of our Lord, members of his sacred body. It is a marriage. That's, this is why the church always emphasizes man and woman, husband and wife, bride and bridegroom. And, you know, always focused on that. That's why that image, that's why you saw that in Paul's end of his Ephesians. He quotes the creation vows. He's trying to put this sacrament of marriage, of theology, into the mind of the pagan Greeks so that they would have a a, a more sacred attitude about their marriage. But post-Vatican II, Norris Ordo, dumbs it down. Dumbs it down. 
for some reason. They do that all the time and it's shameful. This is why a lot of divorces happen. That's why marriages are down. That's why baptisms are down. You know, uh, uh, all, all the, you know, attendance is down. Confirmation is down. This is why you see young girls and boys dress like bride and bridegrooms when they receive Holy Communion and when they go for their confirmation. They're dressed as brides and bridegrooms. But do you see this being preached from the altar, from the pulpit? No, you don't. If our clergy would do their job and stop being so scared, and if Catholics actually, if they encourage Catholics to read their Bible, and if they give them better catechesis classes, you will see it. Everybody thinks, see, they think we're too stupid. They think this is how they think about all of us. They think we're too stupid. They actually have developed, you know, it's, 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 it's like natural for them not to. Oh, they're too lazy to read their Bibles anyway. They're going to, you know, some of them, I think, have developed such a negativity and a low opinion about their parishioners. And, they, and, they, and they're too lazy. They look like tired and worn out. They look like they don't even want to be there anymore. Maybe if they actually invested more time, they might they might see better fruits of their labor. But this is how you should look at it. You should look at your relationship. When we receive Holy Communion, when we walk up to receive Holy Communion, we should receive Him reverently, beautifully. This is why we shouldn't receive Holy Communion in the hand. You know how many people have abused it? You know, there were stories of people disregarding in a, such a sacred way, think of it as you're marrying Jesus, your soul. Your soul is uniting and becoming one with Jesus. You're receiving the Eucharist and the Eucharist is transforming your soul to reflect that of Jesus, to become a saint and to become holy. But if you notice at the end of that passage, he calls, he was referring to Judas as a devil because that's exactly when Judas Stop believing in him in Capernaum when Jesus said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. That's, that's when it ended. I want to go back to when I said earlier about that uh, people who, you know, about giving out communion, like if it was potato chips, distributing, distributing it in a very random way without even asking not even finding out if people are are really Catholic, it happens. I mean, you know, how many tourists you go, you think go to the Vatican, and they, when they're celebrating a mass, they're giving out communion, like you're handing it out. This is the problem with the Novus Soto. They hand out communion so randomly to anybody. I know. I, I saw a program one time, a travel program where. <laughs> A young woman received the Eucharist and she wasn't even Catholic. So um, I heard a pro I've heard about uh, in a program where they found the sacred host in the pews sitting on the, on the seats, just laying there. Someone received the Eucharist 
and it was found laying there, disregarded, like, like nothing. So you see what I'm saying is there's a lot of negligence going on. And the reason why is, is because our clergy, if the people behave badly towards the Eucharist and don't believe in the real presence, then that means they're not being taught properly. Okay. It's because their catechesis is weak. The catechesis is weak. And a lot of it has a lot to do with the clergy, with the way they're trained. Yeah, you have to understand this. If it, Look, the liturgy is streamlined. They come out, they sing some bad music, they look tired, they look like they don't even want to do this. I've seen the, I looked at the attitude. I've seen how they talk to people. They talk to their parishioners. They don't, they want to, they want to get it over with. They don't want to deal with it. I mean, it looks, they looked so like, I don't want to be here. I want this over with. And it's true. It's true. This is just a job for them. They got to keep this up till they can retire and that's it. That's it. And sadly, you know, it's it's affecting a lot of people's uh, relationship with the church, relationship with the sacraments. Um and it's 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 bad, you know, it's it's really, you know, a lot of Catholics, including myself, really believe we're, you know, we're just not, we're just not valued. We're just not valued. And the Novus Ordo is really, was really all about uh, changing the church because a couple of really nasty intellectuals took over. And had a globalist vision about it, about, you know, I mean, you read about, you, you hear and uh, you hear a lot of uh, talks, a lot of, uh, a lot of basically people who've studied this, many of them deliberately had a vision for the church, was a breakaway from the past, a breakaway from the theology and spirituality of the past to, to, to use the Catholic church to set up a more globalist attitude to basically it was to satisfy the higher intellectual Protestants, not even Orthodox Protestants, and basically to create a globalist uh, religious society. They do a lot of what you call dialogue, dialogue with Hindus, dialogue with Buddhists, Dialogue with Muslims, dialogue with Jews, dialogue with atheists, dialogue with economists. The only thing they don't want to talk to is 
the, the, the devout ca uh, practicing Catholic in the pews. Oh, they'll talk to liberal Catholics because a lot of liberal Catholics, you know, they have, you know, uh, you know, late Catholic, they'll talk to them. They'll talk to them about sexuality. They'll talk to them about gender. They'll talk to them about, uh, um, the environment. They'll talk to them about social justice, but salvation, that's not a big concern to them. It's not a concern at all. So how, how is the practicing Catholic supposed to behave? It's not uh, a reason to despair. You have to understand is that the church will survive this. And I think the changes are starting to show. What I think we need to do is we just need to pray. We need to pray for the clergy. Here's the thing. You do have to pray for the Pope. You do have to pray for the Pope. You should pray for your local pastor, the priest. You should pray for the bishops. You should pray for the church. Just because they don't care doesn't mean we stop caring. Remember, Judas was an apostle. He was, he was one of the 12 and he was, he performed miracles. He performed miracles just because he was unfaithful does not put an impediment on the power of Christ working through him. No, Judas was a member of the 12 straight to the end, even when he betrayed our Lord and that did not make the, uh, the power of Christ working through him to heal people and baptize people null and void. There is no impediment that stops the sacraments. There is no impediment, anything. A man may be evil, but it does not mean that it makes the baptism he performed or the marriage he performed or the consecration of the bread and wine, it doesn't mean Christ wasn't working in him. It wasn't him. He didn't consecrate. A bad priest doesn't consecrate it into his body and blood, in the body and blood of our Lord. The baptism is not in, is not in his name, is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. People have to stop thinking this way. The church belongs to Christ, not to evil, wicked men. Okay, remember in the Gospel of John, when Caiaphas the high priest said to all the members of the Sanhedrin, you do not understand. It is expedient that one man should die rather than the entire nation. That was a prophecy. And as much as he hated Jesus, it was a prophecy. The Holy Spirit spoke through him no matter how much he hated Jesus. He was still high priest that year. Okay. And, you know, it's, let me, I, I actually spoke to a friend of mine. Remember, Our Lady of Fatima said nothing about Latin Mass or Novus Order Mass. Our Lady of Akita said nothing about Latin Mass or Novus Order Mass. Our Lady of Ecuador, good success, never said anything about Latin Mass or Novus Order Mass. The prophecies 
only speak about faithfulness to Christ. We need to remain faithful to him. And he, you know, we have to remain faithful to him. All right, let's close it with a prayer. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born, uh, only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, and by the Holy Spirit was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. He rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is adored and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. I believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins and look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. All right, folks, uh, I'm going to end it here. Uh, I'll be back soon uh, with more podcasts. Okay, God bless.